You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. To left center, deep, gone, Brewers lead it. And a swing and a miss, he struck him out. Down the line, and that's the ball game. Hey, Brewers fans, welcome back. It is episode 14 of Brewers Unfiltered. Sophia Minard, Adam McAlvey, Tim Dillard, joining you for another week of Brewers baseball chatter here on the podcast. And we're excited about this one because we've got an interview that Adam and I recorded over the weekend while the team was at home playing the Oakland A's with John Singleton, who has taken a long winding road to make his way to the Milwaukee Brewers started out as a top prospect and saw him come up uh, while the team was on the road against the Cincinnati Reds, nine years to the day of his major league debut. So John's story is a great story of just perseverance and sticking with it. He shared some great perspective with Adam and I. So take a listen here from John Singleton. Okay, we are here with Brewers first baseman designated hitter John Singleton. And John, thanks for doing this. We're really excited to hear a little bit more about just your fascinating baseball story. I want to start with the call-up because I'm a Rick Sweet fan covering this team for as long as I have. And he was just like beside himself to be the one to get to tell you that you're heading to the big leagues. And I think he said it's the first time a game's ever been delayed by a call-up, even if it was for a moment. From your perspective, he calls down to the end of the dugout and says, John, you're going to the big leagues. How do you put into words what that moment was for you? Uh, to be honest, you know, it was very hard to put it into words. I was, taken, I was taken back, you know, in the moment. You know, when it happened, we're in the middle of a ball game. It was a tight ball game. So I was so focused on that, you know, when those words rang out, it really did catch me off guard, without a doubt. What about just the reaction from everybody in the dugout, you know, and, and like – to get that reaction from your teammates to the point that in the middle of a tie game, late in a game, a game stops because everyone is taking that moment to celebrate you. I mean, you don't get a lot of moments like that. Right. You really don't get a lot of moments like that. You know, uh, as soon as Rick said, you know, pack your bags, it's kind of everyone in the dugout, you know, it was a joyful, cheerful moment. You know, everyone kind of erupted. So it was definitely a, a unforgettable moment. I can definitely say that. Well, I think we'll talk more about that. But I maybe this is a good point to just go all the way back to the beginning, John, because I think people know you're from Long Beach, and I don't think we know much about you beyond that. And I, I think these chats are always really cool to just find out the roots of a guy and where you came from. So can you tell us about your childhood? Were you in all kinds of sports? Were you always a baseball guy? Just what is your sports origin story? Uh, originally, you know, uh, started playing baseball when I was around eight and nine years old, eight, nine, ten years old um, at Long Beach, um, played in Compton, played in uh, in Los Angeles and South Central, you know, so most of Southern California, I've kind of played all over. Those are my, that's, that's my origin, so to speak, with baseball. Played a little basketball, played a little football, but didn't take it as nearly as serious as baseball. I, uh, I didn't take it as seriously as I did baseball. But, uh, yeah, I was, I was more or less all over with baseball, with tournaments. Um, played a lot at the Urban Youth Academy when I was young, when, when they first opened. Um, yeah, just a lot of baseball, a lot of summers, a lot of winters, a lot of falls back then. I, I'm a, can you tell us a little bit more about that, John? Because what was baseball like in the city at that time? And, and maybe who were the players that made you think, like, I want to do that too? Baseball in the inner city is a little, lot different than, you know, when you go out in the valley. Um, there aren't as many baseball fields for one. There aren't as many. There isn't as much competition for two. So it's kind of, I don't want to say few and far between, but when you do find a good group of guys to play with, that's always enjoyable, you know, an enjoyable moment. But there was, there was always a few, few of us that always traveled, you know, from, from team to team or park to park or league to league. Um, you know, when I was younger, a few of the guys I remember playing against that were a little older than me, especially at the Urban Youth Academy where Aaron Hicks and Anthony Ghost, those were two characters that I kind of looked up to. They were two years older than I was, so it was always fun to play up with them, 
So those were definitely two characters I looked up to when I was younger. This might sound like a, a weird question, but like, were you always a natural baseball player? Like, did you nat didn't hitting come naturally to you? Did defense come naturally to you? Were you always just really athletic, even you know within your age group or playing up with guys that were a little bit older than you? Did it did that stand out? Like, even as a kid? To be honest, it actually did. You know, I was always I always played up. There was one moment I remember. Uh, I was 12 playing on a 15U team, and that was kind of my, I guess, my eye-opening experience to realize that I can play with the older group of guys. So I've always been, you know, a natural hitter, a natural defender, but that was definitely for me. That was the, the moment that I realized, yeah, I can play with older people, and it's not, not an issue. I would say 99.9% .9 of the people in big league clubhouses were shortstops when they were kids. Were you a shortstop, or were you always a first baseman? This is going to surprise you, but when I first started, I was a catcher and a third baseman. What? Yeah. I was, I was always the best defender on the team, so between those two positions, that's where I stuck at. Catcher is really interesting because the catcher is also the cerebral guy, the guy that sees the field and wants to be involved in every play. What, what about that position did you like, and why did you uh, eventually come off it? I think just being left-handed, that kind of forced me to play other positions. But... Uh, you know, as I got older, we had catchers that were just as good, and why not put me somewhere else? So I love to catch, but it's definitely a very difficult position. Well, we know that once you got into high school, Christian Yelich was a, a, someone that you played with in the, uh, the fall scout league, right? Playing for the Brewers yeah. or on the Brewers team. What, what do you remember about that time and what you were like as a player in high school and what Christian was like as a player in high school. I could definitely say we both were quiet kids back then, you know, uh, playing scout ball at USC at Dado Field every Wednesday night. It was definitely a lot of fun, you know. It was kind of the first experience I remember having with a really advanced group of guys. I think at the time we were playing against junior college guys and we were all sophomores and juniors in high school, so that was definitely a, an experience for us to learn, you know, how – older men play baseball. So we, we definitely had a lot of fun as a big learning experience. And, you know, we just got to be able to be out with a different group of guys that we don't, we're not normally with, you know. So that was definitely one of the better moments. Yeah, I love this story because Yelich is the one who told us about it. We were, Sophia and I were standing in Cincinnati and he says, you know, I played with Big John when we were in high school. And Yelich was a year younger than you, I think, according to him at least. And just to set the scene for people, these are – the, the Brewers and other teams, Corey Rodriguez is the Brewers scout who's really big into this. He's been a supervisor and an area scout with the Brewers forever. Um, they're always looking for prospects. And before kids even get into like a draft age in high school, they're trying to get a feel for what they're like and get to know the guys. And these scout teams and people have probably heard of the area code teams, which I think you played on for the Brewers as well, as did Yelich, but not together. But the scout team is just a way to bring good kids together and let them play and really get to know them. Um, like, did you think the Brewers might draft you based on that experience once you got to that point? No, not necessarily. Um, I took it as more as just a, just a learning experience to be uh, around, of, around a better group of talent, you know, uh, just to learn a lot of baseball, play better baseball, you know, uh, see better pitching, see better defenders. I didn't necessarily think they were going to draft me. To be honest, I wasn't really concerned at that age with, with being drafted. So it was more or less just about just getting out and playing baseball. So when you get drafted in 2009, correct? Correct. Like leading up to that, when did you start to get attention? as a player and as a prospect? And, and when did you start thinking about, oh, maybe this is the path for me to get drafted? I would say, I would say it was a summer going into my senior year. There were a few uh, showcases I went to. There was definitely some scouting, some scout ball that I played. That's when I started to realize that this is a, you know, a big opportunity for me. Um, at that point, I was already committed to go to Long Beach State play college baseball there but you know things kind of doors kind of opened up and I started to realize I may have another avenue so that's when it all kind of clicked going into my senior high school and then once the senior baseball season started things started to click even more and it just kind of grew from there. 
was the hype there at that point, John? I mean, you were an eighth round draft pick, but could have been a lot higher. Um, it, I, I think some people thought first or second round, maybe if the th if everything fell right. Was there already that that hype building? Uh, you could say so, but more or less, I was just happy to have the opportunity to get drafted, you know, because there were a lot of guys that I played with that didn't even have the opportunity to get drafted, didn't even have the opportunity to, to go to a major school to play baseball. So just to be in those shoes, to be in that position, I was very grateful. Well, here, I'll, again, you, you get drafted by the Phillies and then pretty quickly got traded in a major trade, Hunter Pence, the Hunter Pence trade. And there was a brewer involved in that trade that we all know, and I didn't realize that until I looked at your thing. Can you... Do you know the, the, the guy with Brewer's Ties who was in that trade? Uh, I'm putting you completely on the spot. I want to say Domingo Santana. Domingo Santana was the player to be named later in that trade, and, and he had a domino effect in Brewer's history because he came in the, the deal that got Hader and Adrian Hauser, who were seeing pitch. And um, What was that like? What's it like to be traded? Because now, now there's hype. Like, by the time you got traded, you're a big deal in minor league baseball and on prospect lists and all that stuff. And now you're traded to another team where they gave up a really good, really popular player um, in Pence. How does that change your life? Going to a different organization, a new group of people, I, I didn't know what to expect at first. So I was just kind of going with the flow. It was definitely an exciting moment. It was at the, actually at the end of the year. It was like right at the trade deadline, the day of, I believe. So I was only with, uh, I was with the Lancaster Jocks only for a month, but it's a different group of guys. You know, you're still trying to learn what the organization's all about. But for the most part, you know, I got along just fine. It was a great opportunity. And uh, I tried to make the most of it the last, the last month of the year, but leading into the next year is when I really got a good feel for the Astros organization and the coaching staff and players and stuff like that. So that, that season is 2012 then, that you really, because you got traded in yeah, 11. Yeah, yeah. So then the 2012 season, you really start to settle in Definitely. with Houston. And then fast forward, it's 2014, mm -hmm. June 3rd, right? Yeah. Do we, as, we just, yeah. <laughs> as we just talked about, your Major League debut. And, and at that point, what is the attention around you? And how are you feeling about your career at that point, like to get to finally break through into the big leagues? Wow. Um, the moment it happened is an indescribable feeling. It's like your chest exploded. <laughs> you're, you're filled with joy, angst, excitement. You know, it's, it's this beautiful feeling you have. You, you, you can't describe it. You can't bottle it. You know, uh, it's definitely a moment, you know, that you will always remember without a doubt. But uh, looking back, I would say, I, would, I wouldn't say I was overwhelmed, but there was a sense of just angst that I had because of, you know, the situation and the opportunity and stuff like that. So being that young at that age, it was definitely just a big moment for me. Let's talk about that angst, John, because you've been open over the years about um, that life for you at that time was, was I don't know if the word is difficult, but there was just a lot happening in your head. You, 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 in 2012, you failed a drug test. So you were in MLB's system, so to speak, at that point, and that entails certain checkpoints that you have to do as a player. At the same time, you're killing it in the minor league system and moving up and you know, facing expectations. Um, looking back on it now, and you're and and by the way, you're a young. You know, how old are you at, at that point? Uh, at that point, I was 21, going on 22. So I'm thinking myself at 21, 22. Everyone can put themselves in those shoes and where you are at in terms of life. Looking back, um, how would you do it differently? I guess is is maybe the best way to put it. Uh, if I had to do it differently, I definitely would slow down with how fast I was moving through life. Um, I was doing everything and anything I possibly could at that moment. But that also comes with maturity. You don't, you really don't, you know, know what's really going on at the at twenty one, twenty two. So I was just going out having fun and and going where life takes me at that age. But now looking back, I would definitely tell myself to slow down, enjoy the moment, 
really think about what's important to you and what's important for you. You know, that's something big that I've learned over the years. That's interesting because, like, getting to know you now, I feel like you've done that. Like, you, you, you're so thoughtful and you're, you have such great perspective and you share that with your teammates, you know. Like, Blake Perkins, he describes you as, like, a fun uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, but I think that's a great compliment. First of all, you're fun, but also you're you're like this uncle of like he he obviously respects you. Um, he he goes to you, and and all of the players that we've spoken to about you say that about just what great perspective you have, how open you are. Um, is that something that you've been intentional about? Of trying to slow down and trying to you know take that step forward, I guess. Yeah, I've definitely been intentional with uh, trying to slow down and, you know, uh, put my head where my feet are, so to speak. You know, be in the moment and uh, just kind of remove myself from what's going on, pay attention, just observe. I've always been a quiet person, so with being a quiet person, I'm more observant than I am the loud, you know, extrovert type. So with that being said, as I've gotten older, I've learned to just, you know, really absorb and understand where you are and kind of slow down. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. John, you you know, you know played in the big leagues parts of two seasons with the Astros, and then it was tough, back to the minors to get, to get going again. Um, a suspension that everybody's read about, um, and then the Astros released you. And, and we've asked about sort of the high of getting called up a couple of times to the big leagues. Um, lots of players in this game deal with the low of being cut loose and something that they've dreamed about and it was their life, it's all you think about, is all of a sudden taken away. Um, how do you put into words that moment and, and what do you remember thinking about, here's what I'm going to do next? If, if What was in your head in terms of that at that time? At that moment, I actually asked for my release from the Astros. So that was a big moment in my life where I felt like I had to figure things out. So once I did that, once I walked away from baseball, that was kind of a weight off my shoulder, so to speak. So I was able to take care of my daughter, you know, spend time with my family, my brothers, my cousins, my nephew, my niece. So it was a lot of time at home. I could really put things in perspective. Also at that time, I did a lot of a lot of therapy work. So within those three years, you know, there was a lot of changes that I went through. So me making a decision to walk away from baseball was, was huge for me. And then I believe it was in 2020, right, during the pandemic when mm -hmm. you decided to open your gym? Yeah, it was, yes, it was late 2020 in December. In, right. Yeah. We have questions. Yeah. <laughs> so what went, so... You're out of baseball, it's the middle of a pandemic, and you decide to open a business. <laughs> so, so, John, why, why the gym, and what, what, what is, how is the gym part of your story? So it first started with uh, just simple workouts. It first started with me, before the pandemic actually, I was going to the gym twice a day. Um, there was a lot of work I was doing, you know, to, to to physically change myself, uh, also to to psychologically change how I felt about myself, the way I uh, the way I went about my life. So to be to be disciplined was a huge thing for me. So it all started there, and then moving forward, it got to a point where all gyms were closed, and there was nothing you could really do. So it first started with just trying to find a space so I can do something on my own. And it just kind of snowballed from there. It built and built and built. And, you know, one of my really good friends, Josh, you know, we kind of just worked together and just came up with this idea. And it just, it all grew from there. And is, I asked you this when you got called up, you know, when did you set your sights on getting back into organized baseball? And I think you said that thought never really leaves your mind. It's not like you asked for your release from the Astros and closed the door on baseball forever. But, but at this point, as you're getting back into shape, uh, is the intent to, like, I'm going to play baseball again? When I first started, the intent wasn't play baseball. The intent was just to get in the best shape I possibly could get into 
Um, and then whatever opportunity and avenue I decided to go down from there, it was open. But, you know, as time went on, you know, I was talking to my friend Josh and then slowly started getting back into baseball activity. And then uh, one day I just made that decision. You know, uh, it was kind of like, you know, a small campfire turned into this raging wildfire, so to speak. So that's kind of how, how it worked out. What's going on with the gym now? It's still still in operation. You know, uh, it's, a, it's a small gym. It's nothing too crazy, spectacular. But, you know, we do help, help, help young athletes, you know, get in shape and stuff like that. Um, my friend Josh Evans, you know, he's the guy who handles the day-to-day there now. So while I'm away, there are things that are still going on. What's your best, uh, what do you call it? I'm, I'm revealing myself as not a good gym guy because I don't even move. Oh, like yeah, like, what, you're, is, are you best at, like, bench, squats? Like, I, basically, I want to hear how much you can bench press. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I can bench press upwards around 335 pounds. <laughs> uh, my squat, actually, I try to squat every day. Um, and when I do squat every day, I'm upwards of around 495. I can get to 500 every day. And most days when I don't squat every day, I'm on the Stairmaster. So there's something very physical and strange. So I try to do with my legs every day. It's very important to me. Um, yeah, that's... How about deadlift? Uh, I'm up there, I think around 585. <laughs> oh, my, <laughs> my God, John, that's yeah. absurd. Just a casual 585? <laughs> I guess I guess you could call it that. Okay, I, I have a, actually a follow-up on this because I know William Contreras loves to get into the gym mm-hmm. and, and lift some heavy weights too. So you, you're you blowing past him on the weight rack? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I haven't seen him work out. Maybe. One, okay. di- one of these days I'll see. Okay. Here's the other question that when I knew we were going to get to sit down with you, I can't wait to ask. What's the Mexican league like? It's actually a lot of fun. Um, playing in Mexico City, um, fans love baseball there. Um, baseball is a huge culture in Mexico. A lot of the cities we go to are great. You know, uh, it's just, it's honestly, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of excitement and it's a lot of fun. You were going to play there in 2020, I think, and then the pandemic knocked that out. So in 2021 is when you played there. I wrote down your slugging percentage because I couldn't, I wanted to remember it. Six, do you know what, John? 695, <laughs> which is pretty good. Um, I'm not a good statistician, but that's pretty high. And then um, the Brewers came calling, and it was David Stearns, who you knew from Houston, and had an opportunity to come back into a, a minor league opportunity with the Brewers. Was that like, did you have to think about it? Was, were there other clubs calling at that time? Um, was it easy? Like, what was the thought process? Honestly, uh, I knew I wanted to get back into professional baseball and I knew it was a journey so that was just one step that I took um, off the top of my head I believe the Brewers were the first organization maybe the only organization that showed that showed you know real interest there are also a few other people in the organization that I knew like Quentin McCracken so that was a big deciding factor for me signing with the Brewers but yeah it's just, it just another step along the journey I want to ask you about your family too because I know that when you got the opportunity to come back. You know, you said, you know, call on your wife, and she's bawling her eyes out, and your, your two kids, Mason and Steele, yeah. calling your mom. You know, when you're going through this process, John, of, hey, I think that thought, you know, the, 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 the campfire is starting, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about this, and I'm working out, and now maybe I'm going to start hitting, and now I'm going to go to Mexico. Yeah. Um, what is... What kind of support are you getting from them to help you get here? Um, honestly, you know, my wife saw it early, how dedicated I was. She saw that I was going to the gym twice. It actually, when I first started going to the gym, it actually made her really upset because I wasn't home a lot. You know, she saw I was physically exerting myself. I was sleeping on the couch and I wasn't at the gym working out. So it kind of irritated her at first. But once she saw that I was truly dedicated you know, day in and day out, things kind of changed. She realized that this is serious. And, you know, that's when it all kind of came together. And we all we all kind of came together and, and kind of devised a plan of, of how to attack this. So once my wife got behind me, you know, 
I kind of developed this support system with my friends and my brother, and uh, it just it just kept rolling from there. That's so much of life, isn't it, John, to have good a good support system? We hear that from players all the time. I think we all know it in our own lives. Like how much of our lives is being held up by those around us. And Lindsay, your wife, I know is a huge part of that. We love her from social media. She's very dynamic on social media and loves to like share everything that you're doing. Can you tell us a little bit more about her and how she's been a part of your journey? Well, I've known her for 15 years, you know. Uh, she went to Wilson High School, which is a rival high school of ours. And we actually met after one of my baseball games. She was friends with a sister of one of the boys that were on our team. So it was kind of a uh, a unique situation, so to speak. And, you know, we were young, kept in contact for a while. She went to school. I was playing pro ball. And things just kind of built and snowballed from there. And, you know, for, after being good friends for so long, you know, we just developed this this great relationship, that unbreakable bond. How how excited are they, you know, to like see this all of your work, like, and your dedication to this process pay off, and now you're here and you're doing it. It's definitely a surreal moment, you know. I know my wife is is extremely happy. You know, uh, she's seen how hard I've worked. You know, my family has seen how hard I've worked. But I think uh, it kind of shines a light even for them that. You know, regardless of what situation is, what situation you're in, you know, if you work hard enough and you dedicate yourself to something, anything's anything is possible. So I'm glad that I can do that for them. And also, them just supporting me also pushes me along. So it, it means a lot. In Cincinnati, when you came up, Andrew Monasterio hit his first homer. Blake Perkins hit his face, first homer. And when players have firsts, first win, first save, first hit, whatever it is, there's a lot happening in the clubhouse. Now, you knocked off a bunch of those firsts a number of years ago. Did, did, was there anything in the clubhouse to mark your return to Major League Baseball, or has it been pretty quiet? Uh, it's, it's been pretty quiet. I mean, uh, I'm not really expecting a lot, you know, because this is something I kind of planned for for a long period of time. Um, I mean, milestones are huge, you know, but this is also something I want to be regular, to be normal, so to celebrate – once to, to celebrate again, uh, not 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 too big on it, but it is important to enjoy the moments. That's great, John. We just we we love your story. I think the fact that you've shared your ups and your downs is really important because people see the major league players and they think it's all up, 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 right? right? And baseball is a lot more than that, and life is a lot more than that. So I think you're doing a service to lots of people by just kind of sharing your journey. So thank you. Definitely, thank you. I appreciate it. You know, life is a uh, it's a lot about ups and downs, you know. Uh, you will get knocked down, but it's all about how you stand back up. So I'm glad that I can show people that regardless of what you're going through, what you've been through, if you show discipline, dedication, you show heart, you show grit, you know, it doesn't matter what you've been through, what you're going through, you know, you can make anything possible. We hope you enjoyed that conversation with John Singleton. I know Adam and I really appreciated the time to sit down and talk with him and just how open he was and shared some great stories. So we hope you enjoyed that chat with Big John. Uh, But we got a lot more to get to here on Brewers Unfiltered, so stick around. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution. That will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.
this week on Brewers Unfiltered, guys, we're uh, we're well represented here across the Midwest because I'm with the team <laughs> in Minneapolis. Yep. Adam is in his home office in Milwaukee with all kinds of great memorabilia. But Tim is being tourist Tim in the Wisconsin Dells with his family and a great setup of lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my behind him. This is where we need the video. Well, no, not really, because we all look no. like we just woke up. Yeah. Uh, but no video. Over Tim's shoulder is a <laughs> a lovely piece of rare art. That is a pack of a pack of lions in the woods, as it were. Yeah. It, no, I'm at I'm in Kalahari. Um, I'm I'm kind of off to the rooms in this like couched area. There's a lot of wood and animals on the wall. <laughs> And artwork and people walking by. So if if I'm interrupted, it just means that I have to return my towel. If so, if so, just, are people walking you know. by recognizing you? No, no, no one's recognized me here at all. Which is, I mean, I guess probably what I want. <laughs> so if like we're talking, you're talking, and all of a sudden we hear a conversation, it's just someone who does recognize you and wants to know what happened against the A's. There, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are literally people walking by, going, "Is that the dude? Do I ask him about?" stuff <laughs> does he know anything about the brewers no there's people walking by non-stop so yeah forgive me <laughs> well it was a tough weekend for the brew crew against the a's um as we're coming into this week they've lost four straight they they started off with a great great series against the baltimore orioles dropped that series finale they've now lost four straight with the series sweep to the oakland a's i'm not sure anyone had that uh on the card to start, to start here, but it was a tough weekend. You know, they, they had a great comeback there in the ninth to bring the tying run to the plate on Sunday to try to avoid the sweep. Ultimately just couldn't get it done. Um, you know, Craig council talked about the offense over the weekend, Pat Murphy, who was managing, uh, for the team on Sunday while Craig was away from the team. I thought he put it like really well of just offering some perspective on that A series of, you know, the margins in Major League Baseball are so small. You're you're an inch from the top and you're an inch from the bottom. And I think that's mm-hmm. what we saw in that weekend series. W- what did you guys see as we're, we're getting ready for a new week here facing the Twins and then the Pittsburgh Pirates? Well, well, look, I thought back to my early years covering the Brewers where they were at the bottom. And that never meant that it, they were hopeless in any given day or any series they could play a great stretch of baseball and um, really look like a, 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 co- a great competent team. And it reflected what Pat Murphy said, that these teams are several inches within each other, even when the records look, you know, the record between the Tampa Bay Rays and the Oakland A's is uh, crazy wide. I mean, last year, the Houston Astros won the World Series and had a great year. They got swept in Oakland in July. Um it happens. The, the issues for the Brewers, and, and I think Pat Murphy was realistic about this, they're, they're hobbled. Um, the way this week went hobbled them, and, and we've talked at length about kind of the, the guys that they are down right now. Um, it hurts them, especially on, I think, especially on the pitching side, although we can talk more about the offense too. But I think on the pitching side, this is a pitching and defense team, and they are still down a lot of pitching. So, um, it, it was not great, and now it's how do you how do you rebound? I think it's a great time for a two game series with off days on either side of it. <laughs> like if anything's going to hit the reset button, this is it. Yeah, to me, this is big series coming up. You got Twins for two, Pittsburgh for three, Arizona for three, and I think this is kind of a I don't want to say make or break, but this is a very you got to get back aligned. And what I saw in the A's series, even though I was in the Dells, enjoying myself with miniature golf and go-karts and, and some roller coaster intrigue, um, was kind of these games were like a roller coaster in a way. And here's the difference I saw. The, if what they're going to do coming up, are they going to double down on the formula or are they going to kind of come together more of a collective unit? And I mean that as... They almost have to treat, because it comes down to runs. They need to score runs. They need to score runs the right way, the best way, anyway. And right now, I think they need to treat second base like it's not scoring position. They need to treat third base like, we got to get this run in. We have to get guys to third base to make sure we can get them in. In the, in the Orioles series, 
Early on in the ball game, Rowdy Telez was up, man on third, less than two outs. Rowdy sees the defense, they're playing back, they're conceding the run, and what does he do? He just hits a ground ball to first. Boom, Brewers are on the board. That right there plays. And then you see the A series, the extra inning ball game. Uh, I'm not sure who it was. I'm not trying to pick on anybody. There's like a scud missile to third at the extra ghost man, the Manfred runner at second base, and it's a line drive out. Now, it was hit hard, and that's along with the Brewers' formula. But in that moment, that didn't help. A little dribbler to first would have helped get that guy to third, and then you have a chance at getting a run in because it changes everything. So I'm wondering if the team moving forward with Twins and Pittsburgh and Arizona, if it's going to be business as usual or if it's, hey, let's we have to get if a guy walks and steals second, we got to get him to third. If he hits a double, we got to get him to third. Can't really treat that as scoring position anymore um, in, in moments like this, especially when you're playing teams that are this scrappy. And Craig had talked about that. I think it was after Saturday's game. You know, they. They'd only scored three runs in the first two games of the series. They, they ended up scoring six runs Sunday in the series finale. So nine, nine against the Oakland A's um, in that three game set. And Craig talked about like those types of situations, Tim, of like, we're just not you know, obviously scoring enough, but just also he talked about the pressure, you know, we're just not putting enough pressure on their pitching staff in terms of whether it's walks, whether it's, you know, those situations of like runner on third, less than two outs, runners in scoring position, um, just the the execution of those situations. So I, I think you're right. That's probably sometimes that just happens, right? Sometimes that's baseball. You think about like Rowdy Telez, he just missed on that homer, I think, on Sunday and slams the helmet in frustration. I think that was like a pretty good synopsis of just how things felt in that series of just you know you're one inch away you're so close that would have changed the game um Urias as well on the right. top of the wall i mean right. that's the kind of stuff that needs to go your way to win ball games and if it's not going your way then that's guess that's where i'm getting at of like you just really gotta you gotta you gotta bite and claw you have to you know if you're just waiting on the big hit and it's you know game goes by and game goes by i think you just have to I don't want to say small ball, but you have to recognize the situation and get a run in any way you can. Well, here's the, th- the other thing. Because we've asked Craig Council like a number of times, often related to like their kind of trouble against lefties, but just in general on this offense. Like, what do you do to get more? Like, there are times where the offense needs to carry you. And when they're down all these pitching, this is that time. But his point is like, these are, this is our team. Um, there, you know, there, there is no more, there are not moves to make to shake things up. And I know the fan um, reaction is often like, okay, shake things up. Let's see some changes. But I mean, like Perkins is up. Abraham Toro is up. Um, Andrew Monasterio is up. The the guys that are sort of like the depth guys, the hitters at AAA, they're, they're in the big leagues. So um, I, th- there's not moves to make. It's got to be these guys. And, and June has just been – you know, really rough. Rowdy, 154, 175, 205 as, as they go into this uh, Minnesota series in the month of June. Brian Anderson, 184, 279, 184 slugging. Uh, Urias hasn't found the stroke yet since coming back from his injury. Willie Adamas kind of started hot, had a couple hits on Sunday, um, but is, you know, weighted runs created plus that overall measure of offense, 79 in, in the month of June. Um, so they're just their guys are in a one of those down periods right now. And I think it's fair to have a debate about whether that's just what this offense is. If, it's, if you don't think it's a, a very good offense, you know, fine. But it can be better than what it's been lately. And, you know, there are certain days where you just need your offense to win you a game. And, and they they need to have one of those days here coming up. Give the give the pitchers a little bit of a break. And we know, I mean, too, it's like they they are certainly capable of it. You know, you look at like what they did in the Cincinnati series. They had some big offensive days there. Um, Power, of course, is always a story for them offensively. Like anyone can start getting into a streak like that, right? Like what would would it mean if Rowdy Telez starts getting into a hot streak or – Totally. You know, so things – we know how quickly – the uh, the roller coaster at the Kalahari can change, right, Tim? Um, <laughs> but I stayed on it anyway, and I survived. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> sometimes, hey, sometimes baseball feels like a Kalahari roller coaster ride. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, so this week, this week they've got, I think, a great opportunity to sort of reset here. Um, you know, the team was off yesterday. It's a very short two game series here against the Minnesota Twins. They're kind of an interesting team because, you know, they're at 500 in first place in the American League Central, um, maybe a, just as confusing a division as as the National League Central. Then they're going to have another off day on Thursday before we finally get to see the Pittsburgh Pirates for the first time. Yeah, here. that's crazy. In the middle of June, we finally get to see the Pittsburgh Pirates. And so, again, as we're starting this week, they are one game back of Pittsburgh. Um the Pirates will be coming from Chicago. They're going to be playing the Cubs before they come to Milwaukee. So I, I am really intrigued to see um, the Pirates. I think that's going to be a really fun series just to get to see, you know, these two teams that have just been basically flip-flopping places in, in first. Yeah, and Andrew McCutcheon is such an awesome story. Um, got his 2000th hit on their last homestand, has just thrived in returning home, Is looks totally rejuvenated. Couldn't be a more popular guy in clubhouses around the game of baseball. So I think he's sort of the the headliner of uh, of that series for me. Well, they got a young team and they were they've been good. They just needed some you know some veteran leadership, as cliche as that is. But McCutcheon's nothing about that guy's cliche, <laughs> and he came in and probably helped direct all this young talent. So I don't know. I just I kind of like watching the Pirates play last year. I thought, man, this team's won something away. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I think now that McCutcheon kind of brought everyone together. Yeah, and it's it's just, you know, funny how the schedule works. Like we've gone this far without seeing them and now they're gonna seat them um twice. So if for a total of six games, the Pittsburgh will come uh to Milwaukee and then at the end of June on the upcoming really long road trip, they'll finish up uh going to PNC Park for the first time. So we'll have six games coming up here against Pittsburgh. And guys, since we are in the middle of June um, we talked about this, I think, a little bit last week, but the All-Star game is coming up. We're less than a month away now. All-Star balloting is starting to come out, and the early returns are in, and catcher William Contreras currently coming in ninth among National League catchers, and I think we've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about William Contreras and just what he has done for this team behind the plate, defensively, working with the pitching staff, and then he's been really impactful offensively as well um, as catcher and DH. So, so far the numbers for him in 52 games, it's a 239 average, 755 OPS, eight homers, 20 RBIs, and his caught stealing percentage is 24%. So what do you think? How can we get William Contreras <laughs> to get maybe some more attention for, for what he's done for this team? Go vote, people. <laughs> <laughs> All 20 of our listeners. I don't know. I don't know how many listeners we have, but definitely got to go vote for the guy. <clears throat> so I had to look a little deeper, and currently only 11 catchers even qualify for this thing right now because of at-bats or games played or however it works. And even closer than that, the NL, there's only six catchers that qualify. So for him to be ninth overall, I mean, that's just kind of ridiculous. Uh, but he is fourth in the NL in average, heating up. But here's – and I know there's Diaz in Colorado, Murphy in Atlanta, Real Muto – He's in Philly, right? In Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they all have more RBIs and things like that. But here's what, here's where Contreras comes up really big. And it's not as cool as this guy has 40 home runs, but it's what he does behind the plate. Now, he's still tied for the MLB lead for defensive runs saved as a catcher. He's second in blocks and fifth in framing, which it's incredible they can measure all that stuff and figure out a value to it and since they have done that then that should play a little bit of a factor like you can't always go off rbis you know average and home runs but anyway Contreras should definitely be higher yeah i have him fifth if i if i were to put my ballot i mean sean murphy who is in that same trade remember between yeah, the right. a's braves and brewers is like a legit mvp candidate at this point with what he's doing in atlanta so he's clearly for me, right now, the starting catcher in the All-Star game. Will Smith of the Dodgers is always great. Francisco Alvarez is a really – I'm looking forward to seeing him when the Brewers go to New York in a couple of weeks. Um, uh, uh, he's, like, hit a bunch of homers for the Mets. And then Tim mentioned Elias Diaz. I don't know if – I mean, Brewers fans saw him a little bit uh, in that in that series we shan't relive uh, when they were in Denver. <laughs> But he's having a really good year for a catcher. Um, 
And then I would put uh, Contreras in that group. And and Tim's right that like where Contreras gets his value is the is the framing, the stuff behind the plate. Which you know, look if you're online on MLB.com where you can vote up to five times in any 24-hour period. Um, you're probably not looking at like the framing metrics when you're voting for your all-stars, but that's where Contreras gets his value. And, and look, he just deserves a ton of credit for it. I think it's, um, you know, it's a great story of a guy who came into spring training, like really wanting to improve, really wanting to change this, the, his reputation around the game. Like he knows, he, he, he was like, I know my reputation is as a hitter. I want to be an all around catcher. And he's done it in like incredibly short order. So Huge credit to him. I don't know if he's the number one catcher in, in the National League, but he's he's doing the job the Brewers are asking him to do. Yeah, and I think that's it. It's like they, he's <clears throat> totally bought into wanting to participate in that process, right? Like we've heard so much about like what a great kind of sponge he was at the beginning and what, you know, just really a student in terms of like absorbing all of the information and getting to know the pitching staff. And I think we've heard it from – pretty much every pitcher on the staff, like the impact that he makes behind the plate in a game with the framing. I think his game calling, I know Victor has really helped him with that. I mean, it just seems like he's checking all the boxes of everything that they hoped that he would do um, in acquiring him. And you just hope that like he can continue to get better. And and obviously they're, they're counting on him a lot on both sides of the ball. Um, also some movement for the Brewers in the minor league system regarding one of their top prospects, uh, Jacob Mizrowski, 21 years old. He was the second round draft pick last year, recently promoted um, from Carolina, where he was just absolutely dominating hitters, um, got, got promoted to the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. And so he's the fourth best prospect in the organization, according to MLB Pipeline. And Adam, I know you just did a story about his – his apple, his uh, his Timber Rattlers debut, and it went pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perfect into the fifth, um, sensational debut. And the way they're on the they're on a long road trip right now, the Timber Rattlers. So his next one this week will be on the road, and then if he stays on schedule, he could get that first uh, Timber Rattlers home game. I think it's um, June twentieth. Um, things change obviously with rain or schedules get bumped, whatever it is. But that's sort of the way he lines up right now. So if anybody is listening in Wisconsin and wants to go see him, he, he's really fun. He's 6'7". He throws 102. Um, he can pitch a little bit. And, you know, I mean, the money I, I wrote about him at soundbrewers.com now, I, the, the, the money quote is that he, he says, I'm still in the mindset of I'm going to dominate this dude. My goal is to make him look stupid. So, like, that's how he thinks about it. I don't know how you thought about hitters uh, when you pitched him, but um, that's how Jacob Mizorowski thinks about hitters. <laughs> I was always like, please don't hit this. Please don't hit this. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, well, there's one thing. And, I mean, I have kids, and, and they, they go and they play competitive sports, and my two boys are playing baseball. And it's hard to it's, it's hard to get somebody, if they're not a competitor, to be a competitor. If you're not a competitor, it's just not ingrained in you, or maybe you haven't, you know, reached that threshold yet. Uh, there's a certain edge that that players need to have, and especially pitchers. I had a pitching coach one time. He just got us together to fire us up at a pitchers meeting, and he was just like, "You got to look at that batter like he's stealing money from you, like he's stealing food off your table. You know, he's stealing food, you know, from your kids." And I was probably like 18 or 19, so I was thinking, "Well, I don't have any kids yet, but okay, I get it, I get it." But you almost have to have that little bit of edge of, of like, you're not just out here going do to do to do going through the motions. When it's your time to stand on that rubber, you, you got to make something happen, you know, do something. And I don't know. I just, that kind of always stuck with me. You have to have that edge and you got to flip that switch. And it sounds like this kid's just, he, he knows that switch is there. Uh, but at the same time you have to, it's not always going to be making people look foolish. Like you can just get somebody out too. <laughs> yeah. I'm big well, on just getting somebody out. And, you know, that's what you learn to do in the minor leagues, yeah. right? Because in the in the lower levels, when you're a guy who throws gas, yeah, you clearly. just go out and dominate everybody. And then you as you get, you know, now he's facing better hitters and they'll get him in, in high A and then he'll go to double A. And 
he'll dominate some days and then get hit other days and, and the hitters get better and better. Um, and I, I, I like talking to him because he does talk about pitching. He wants to be a pitcher and not just out there um, throwing. And, you know, here, here's the thing that Matt Arnold says, you know, Jacob Mizorowski went to Crowder college, like a junior college and really jumped on the map when he pitched in the Juco World Series. It's the same school that Aaron Ashby came out of. Um, and then he had an LSU scholarship. And the Brewers picked him in the second round and gave him huge money, like doubled slot, in order to, to sign him away from LSU. And he, uh, Mizorowski says he has zero second guessing about that. It was 100% the right decision to go into pro ball and get this last year and a half to work with coaches and get better. But if he were draft eligible right now, Matt Arnold says this, you're talking about like a top five pick in the 2023 draft um, had he gone to LSU. So that's sort of the level of talent they feel like they have. I mean, you're talking potentially a first overall pick kind of guy. Um, So, you know, look, there's a lot, he's got to do it. He's, you know, there's plenty of stories of guys who run into roadblocks in the minors and they can't overcome it. But his mindset is such that they think he has a he's very well equipped to to, you know, continue to progress through the minor leagues and continue to learn how to pitch as the hitters get better and better. And just turned 21 before the season started. Yeah, I mean, that's that's to have this kind of ability at 21 to be climbing the ladder. um, Yeah, they're going to just continue to rise, you know, go to each level until, yeah, he runs into a lineup or runs into a team, runs into a series that he just can't overcome. And they want to see a struggle, right? That's that's what every coach wants. That's what every front office guy wants. What is this kid going to do when he struggles? Because it sounds like with 102 at 6'7", 190 pounds, this, this kid knows what he's doing. <laughs> and he has the right mindset. And he just hasn't met a challenge that he couldn't overcome. So I think that's going to be the challenge of the Brewers organization is to, to find someone to kind of match him. Well, in Carolina, he had 46 strikeouts in 26 and two-thirds innings. <laughs> That's rather absurd. That's that just, I, I would say he's uh, certainly executing the goal of trying to dominate hitters. If, if that's his mentality, I think that definitely showed up with how he was pitching in Carolina and why they ultimately promoted him um, to the Timber Rattlers. So well done, uh, Mr. Mizorowski. We'll be keeping tabs on him. Um, again, one of the best prospects in the Brewers organization. But we also, guys, as we're talking about the minor league system, have to congratulate Mike Guerrero, who has been with the Brewers organization for a long time. And Sunday reached an incredible mi- milestone of 1,400 career wins, becoming just the seventh minor league manager to active manager to reach that milestone. Um, I mean, we all know Mike. He's a great man. He loves baseball. He's been extremely loyal to the Brewers. Just what a what an, a huge number um, to rack up that many minor league wins. And a huge job. Double A, we've talked about this on the podcast a couple times related to Jackson Churio, is such an important level of development for players because you're it's where prospects really get tested. The young prospects like Churio, Jefferson Caro, um, this is where this is where so much of your development happens. So it's a, it's so important to have a great manager there and to win that many games where your roster is changing like daily, because as AAA gets pillaged to bring players up to the big leagues, they take the good players from AA and you're constantly having new new guys come in and it's a it's a great milestone and a just a great baseball man. 1996 was his first year in the Brewers system, so it's been a little while. That was my first year, too. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I've had Mikey as a manager several times in AA and AAA. Um, he's that guy that you want. And the Brewers also have Rick Sweet. He has over 2,000 career mm-hmm. victories. And I helped both those guys get some get some of those victories. Probably wow. gave them some losses, too. So sorry, sorry Mikey. Um, <laughs> but, yes, you're right. AA is a very pivotal moment because you get these guys that are super young, super good. They know their prospects. And how do you handle that? And you got to get them ready, too, because AAA, like you said, getting pillaged and guys playing out of position a lot of times, AA is the place where guys play their position. Um, and so you maybe with a pitcher, you start, you're on the bubble of, am I a starter at this point? Am I a reliever at this point? And all that trickle-down effect, and they ask heavily 
on the managers that have been there. They want to say, okay, what's this guy, compare this guy to somebody. What are we looking at here? And to have someone that's built up that sort of intelligence and experience with the single club, then they're on the same page. Hey, Mikey, what do you compare this guy to? Oh, he reminds me of a young blah, blah, blah. You know, Johnny Helwig, another Missouri guy that was tall and could throw hard. You know, you can start categorizing and people know what you're talking about. And so anyway, Mikey comes from a long lineage too. Epi was, um, you know, keen, real, real big cog in like getting uh, international scouting going. So um, he knows what he's doing. He's been a baseball guy for years um, and he's been a mentor for me. Well said and well done by Mike Guerrero. Just a, a terrific man who, I mean, just it's so cool to see him get that milestone and that recognition. Um, again, Sunday in uh, in in Biloxi and Double A. So well done, Mike Guerrero. Um, but guys, we got more to get to here on Brewers Unfiltered. We've got some rapid round. We've got some stats, and we'll uh, we'll wrap up our thoughts on the upcoming week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. Wrapping up this week's Brewers Unfiltered. Guys, it's it's June. It, we are getting into the heart of summer. And in Milwaukee, that means it's festival season. We are firing up all the festivals. Um, do you plan to go to any this year? Do you have an, an annual um, festival tradition? What are our thoughts? I looked up a whole bunch of festivals myself. There's a taco fest. Ooh. <laughs> That may be a thing. There's Beer Lovers Festival. I feel like that's year-round. Yeah. Um, I Greek think that Fest. one just happened. Oh, did I miss it? Maybe I'm wrong. What's today? I don't know what today is. There's a Lakefront June? Festival of Art. I may have to check that out. Yeah. Uh, but for me, it's got to be Summerfest. I was looking up some of the headliners. Smash Mouth is going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see them. I would, I would think that the high school and, and, and junior college me would uh, would really enjoy that. So, yeah. Uh, well, I my favorite, uh, Sophia and, and I are in the East Town neighborhood. I think you're East Town. Um, and Bastille Days is wonderful. Did you know that that is the largest French-themed festival in North America? I, I, I knew that. <laughs> Just kidding. And um, the Storm of the Bastille this year happens... Well, no, Sophia, you will be on a plane to uh, Cincinnati probably because it's yes. the day before the second half begins. Uh, Tim, are you on that Cincinnati leg coming out of yeah, the All-Star game? Yeah, I think break? so. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to storm the Bastille for myself because I come home from the All-Star game on Wednesday. Then I'll storm the Bastille Thursday, and then I'll go get on a plane first thing Friday morning to come to um, Cincinnati, and I'll tell you how it was. All for one and one for all. <laughs> Good. Maybe there'll be a big flash mob and we can like sing Les Mis. I've always wanted to do that. A flash mob. <laughs> have you ever seen the Les Mis flash mobs? You got to organize it. You have time. Ugh, I would have to learn how to sing and dance first. <laughs> Don't have time then. <laughs> um, well, before we came to Minneapolis yesterday on the off day, I was doing my my lakefront walk with my dog Reggie and they were starting to set up for that lakefront festival of art that you were just talking about, Tim. And it looks pretty nice. cool. Um, so I think, yeah, it's obviously right by the art museum. I think that will be cool. I always do love Bastille days too, Adam. I think it's just the most fun. Um, and I haven't looked, I need to look at the Summerfest lineup. I don't know with the new weekend format. I don't know if it lines up with 
the team Ooh. schedule. The old format was a lot more baseball friendly. <laughs> if anyone yeah. from Summerfest is yeah, listening, right. <laughs> um, yeah. if it, the, the old format was just a, a lot more baseball friendly. So we'll see. I mean, I know there's a couple of good headliners there with like Eric Church coming. I think James Taylor would be kind of fun. I like seeing some of those. Um, I don't know, classic artists, I guess. I don't want to say older, but, um, you know, I think those shows are always kind of fun. So. Is that the phase of life we're in now? Where we have, are we in the classic artists phase of life? I don't mean, I guess. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to call them old, but, you know. Uh, Elvis Costello plays at the same time as James Taylor, and we got offered James Taylor tickets, and I'm sort of torn. Do I want to go see that? Or Elvis Costello on a side stage sounds pretty fun. Mm-hmm. It's a tough call. I know. I have a couple of weeks to figure this out. I look forward to the follow-up on an upcoming Brewers Unfiltered. Yeah, I think that's when you guys are in Cleveland. I have the second two legs of that road trip. So to your note about baseball friendly, I, I think this year's is particularly unfriendly to the Brewers traveling staff. Does that mean I'm going to miss Collective Soul <laughs> and Sticks? You can get, kinda, Vinny, kinda... get Vinny on that trip and um, then you can go. Oh, okay. And yeah, get, uh, he, get Craig to do the pre- and post-game show by himself. He could. Craig Kishan is a master. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, okay, well, while we figure out our festival season, um, stat of the week, what do you guys have for some fun facts? Tim, you said you have a good one. I want to hear it. I just stole it from um, my other partner in crime, Stephen Watson. Thanks, Stephen, if you're listening. If you don't listen, then I won't get a text from you. If you do listen, then I will get a text saying you listen. Okay, uh, stat of the day. Brewers are 13 and 16 against opponents under 500. Huh. So teams that are under 500, they are 13 and 16 against. But teams that have a winning record over 500, they're 21 and 16. Hmm. And I have no idea what that means. Other than... Yeah. Maybe they have a difficult time against maybe some of the scrappier clubs. Um, that's about the only way you can kind of decipher. Because most of the time when you're facing an over 500 team, a lot of times they swing a big bat. You know, look at the Rays. So anyway, for whatever reason, the Brewers um, got their work cut out for them if, they're, if the record is under 500. Well, the two times they've been swept have been the Rockies and A's, which is, you know, as Sophia said earlier, I don't think I had that on my bingo card either. Yeah. So and and two series where the team was the, the opponent was super scrappy in terms of like putting the ball in play at the right time. That was the story of that Rocky series yeah. in early May. Willie Adamas actually he was asked about sort of the tough stretch there, and he thinks that early May was tougher. So for whatever it's worth in terms of like where their levels are inside the room right now, um, they're not you know they're not too woe is me as they go up to Minnesota. So. My stat's convoluted. It's not really one. Here, I'll pick one. I will say, okay, I will say my stat is 4.95, oh, which is runs per game allowed by the Brewers since the start of May, speaking of that Rocky series. So that is almost a run and a half more than they allowed in April when they were playing really well. So 3.57 runs per game through the end of April. They had an 18 and 10 record and were you know, going good. And now since the start of May, 4.95 runs per game. So, again, injuries, we've talked a lot about it. You know, Maybe this is the week we see Wade Miley back in the Brewers rotation. We'll get some news on that um, hopefully very soon. Eric Lauer <laughs> didn't have a very fun uh, last outing in Nashville, but he's working back. And if, if, he, if the velo's back and he starts pitching well, that's a big get. So that's kind of a big if hanging out there right now. Um, their run prevention – Hasn't been great, and it's it's hurt them. Well, my number does have to do with run prevention, and it is two. And it is the number of outfield assists that Joey Weimer had in one inning uh, in Saturday's game against the A's. Um, and probably the, the second one was probably one of the best relays you'll ever see of, of Joey to Willie Adamas, and then they getting the runner out at home. Uh, it's just perfection. Um, and I talked to Quentin Barry about that. And obviously we've talked about Joey's defense. I think he's now has five outfield assists on the season. Um, but he's the first Brewer outfielder to ever have two in an inning. And the last center fielder to have two in a game was Locaine back in 2018. All-star caliber Locaine, um, his first year with the Brewers. So I think um, 
to your point, Adam, yes, it's been a little shaky, but Joey Weimer's defense has been plus, plus, plus. So my mm-hmm. number was two for Joey's uh, Joey's game on Saturday. That's a good yeah, one, Self. I love it. That is a good one. No, we we should feel bad about ourselves for not coming up with that. No, next you guys, week, there's you always guys, next week to come up with a good one. You guys, well, had, everything had good should. stats. We as we collectively as a group had good stats at different angles. Well, everything all right should go. Everything should evolve around Joey Weimer right now. Just watching that guy navigate the outfield is you can't take your eyes off of it. And he knows he didn't have like the best arm. So if there's kids out there listening, if you play the outfield, just get the ball and throw it in. Yep. Like just get it and throw it in. Just stop what you're doing and throw the ball in. Don't yep. wait around and see where to throw it. Just kind of already know where you're going to throw it and pick it up and do it. And mm-hmm. Joey Weimer's a masterclass of that right now. And it works and it's helping. Tim, how close are you at this point to being on a water slide? Are we now within about nine minutes of you being on a water slide? Adam, I can walk out this door to my right and, and literally jump on a water slide. Whoa, oh like that's God, how close I place. am. Yeah. What a magical place. Yeah, I got my flip-flops on. I got my swim trunks on. As soon as my kids come running through here, I'm out. So <laughs> luckily they're still sleeping, I'm thinking. Yeah, but now Tim has had his coffee and he's ready to go. He's Forget the kids. Forget forget roll. the kids. Aaron, you're good. Tim's, Tim's going to be out. Um, kids are ready to leave. I'm just like, no, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> uh, well, on that note, we'll let Tim uh, get back to family vacation in the Wisconsin Dells. But this has been a, a good week here on Brewers Unfiltered. Uh, keep keep following, keep listening um, at Adam McKelvey, at Dim Tillard. Follow me and, of course, the Brewers on all of their social platforms as well, at Brewers. Thanks for listening here on Brewers on Television.